Good morning. Hopefully uh, you can hear me fine. I'm really humbled and delighted to be able to stand before you this morning to teach and pick up where we've left off last week and where we've been since August in Acts. So the Acts of the Epistles is where we're going to be. Some would say it might should have been named the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which I'm sure Kevin has already kind of taught on as we're 19 chapters in. Uh, But yeah, really it's the Holy Spirit being poured out in fullness and the power of God, the living God, actually dwelling in humans. God came and dwelled among us through the person of Jesus, and he said, go wait in Jerusalem before he ascended back to heaven to be with the Father. Jesus said, go and wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. And you will be, and he says, and you will be my witnesses uh, in Acts 1.8. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so uh, that's what we've been walking through, is seeing how the author, Luke, is chronicling the move of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is not just simply the acts of the apostles. This is the Holy Spirit working through the apostles to bring about the gospel so that people would repent and have eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so uh, we're going to just pick up and, uh, in Acts 20. But before we do, I did want to just look back a little bit last week. I know some of us, we miss Sundays. We're out of town sometimes. Um, a lot of you were here for our venture weekend last weekend, which was incredible. And uh, Acts 19 is where we were. And I just wanted to, in order to be sure we're, if you missed last week, to be sure we're in the context of Acts 20, I wanted to uh, restate where we are. So you can just kind of look over Acts 19, and I'm going to kind of remind you where we've been. So the main uh, thing we're, we're seeing in Acts 19 is Paul in Ephesus. Paul in Ephesus, modern day Turkey. Izmir is actually the name in Turkey of where Ephesus is. Uh, That was known as Asia Minor or Asia. You'll often see it referred to as Asia, that province of Turkey area. And so what happened here is uh, Paul is, specifically I wanted to just look at 19, 9 through 10. This is incredible. It says, uh, we'll look at verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so... What Paul does here is he faces some opposition, people who aren't believing Christ is the Messiah, and he takes the believers with him into a hall of Tyrannus. 
And it says that from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., he reasons with them and equips them. Um, in, in a footnote, or you'll, you'll see that um, possibly in your Bible, but for five hours a day, for 365 days, times two, two years, uh, he's teaching them. And so that's, that's 3,650 hours of teaching and equipping. 700 days, five days, or five hours a day. So he teaches them for 3,600 hours. And all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so there was some equipping going on there because they weren't just absorbing knowledge, but they were going out into Asia. Now that's really uh, something I'm passionate about is equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And I failed to introduce myself at the beginning if you don't know who I am, but my name is Samuel. I serve as the director of mobilization here. So um, my, my job is to work under Hal Cooper and to partner with other pastors to equip the saints for ministry. That's all of our pastor's jobs and director's job. But specifically, those who feel like they are being led to go out to the nations. Um, both stateside to go to uh, places like New York City or Boston or uh, any, anywhere really where the nations are, which is everywhere. But then specifically to unreached people groups internationally. And so I'm very interested as a mobilizer to wonder what was that two years like and what could we learn from Paul? Well, we don't know much about that two years, but we do know from Acts 1 through 19 what's happened so far, and we're going to see in Acts 20 more of what did Paul do to get the gospel to the nations. And so... Also in Acts 19, something that, uh, that, that you would have noticed is that there was confession of sin and repentance. There were magic arts people uh, who took their crafts, they took their books, they took their sorcery, and they burned them. You could see that in verses 18 through 20 of chapter 19. Uh, it says, Many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. A lesson we can learn there, and I'm not going to reteach all of 19, but I'm, I'm helping prepare us for Acts 20, is that for the word of the Lord to prevail and increase in our lives in Auburn or in the nations is there must be confession of sin and repentance. To say, not only am I aware that I have sin in my life, but I hate it, I leave it, I despise it, I renounce it, I put it behind me. And that's what these people did. They were aware of their sin, they came and confessed it, and then they said, we're not going back to it, we burn it. This sorcery, this wicked witchcraft, we're burning it. I don't care how many pieces of silver it's worth. Maybe you can think about what, what things, it might not be magic arts and sorcery, but what things do you need to burn as you confess sin and repent so that the word of the Lord would increase and prevail mightily in your own heart and then in the lives of those around you and then to the nations. And then... There's a riot. There's a riot in Ephesus. And that's where I want us to kind of uh, 
an introduction I want you to, to have. Um, so for a little context, I was a history education major at Auburn, so I nerd out over maps and, uh, and journeys and trying to figure out dates and things like that. And, uh, and so someone else uh, has tracked, lots of theologians and researchers have tracked Paul's missionary journeys. And each highlighted town on this map is somewhere where Paul stopped or visited. And so by now, we're into Paul's third missionary journey, I believe. And so Paul has, he, he was initially in Acts 13, he was launched out of Antioch with Barnabas. Antioch is in, is in Syria on this map. Um, now this isn't modern day Syria, this is a biblical times map, okay? So in the province of Syria, you'll see Antioch right there on the coast of the Mediterranean. I'm sorry, the font's really small, but Antioch is right there under Cilicia, He's launched out in Acts 13. He goes and sails by Cyprus, then goes up into Lystra, Derby, Iconium. That's in the province of Galatia. He's stoned. They thought he was dead. They dragged him out of the city. What does he do? He rises up and goes right back into the city where he was stoned. And he comes back later, and he says, he strengthens the disciples. And he says, through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. Um, then he moves on, and I won't chronicle all of Acts 14 through 19, but in short, uh, you'll remember like in Acts 16 maybe, Paul receives a vision of a Macedonian saying, come and help us, come and help us. And so God's, God moves in Paul's life where he and his missionary band go to Philippi, which is in Macedonia. You'll see Macedonia over there. Um, so he goes to Philippi. And there he meets a woman named Lydia. Lydia and her household are saved and baptized. Then uh, they're put in prison, Paul and Silas. And uh, that day um, they're, they're singing hymns and praying about midnight. And an earthquake comes and the Philippian jailer, and his, he's saved and his household are saved. And so the, the church in Philippi is born. He goes to Thessalonica, Acts 17, 1 through 10. And it says in three Sabbaths, Paul reasoned in Thessalonica, the church was born. Persecution came, he had to flee. He goes to Berea. The Bereans were uh, noble. They searched the scriptures to see daily to see if what Paul said was true. So the Bereans were searching the scriptures. Uh, Paul, around Acts 18, goes into Corinth and... Um, there, he meets Priscilla and Aquila, who have been exiled out of Rome for their faith. And, uh, and so then, that brings us up to speed uh, to chapter 19, where Paul visits Ephesus. So, that's where we are now, is where that yellow highlighted region is, in Ephesus. And so, there is a riot there. The riot was over Paul teaching them. You could, you could uh, look in Acts 19.26. Demetrius is a silversmith. A silversmith, he's a craftsman. He made idols for a living. And he said, you see and hear 
that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. You got it right, Demetrius. That's what Paul is saying. If your God is made with hands, it's not a God. It's not the God, the true living God, creator of heavens and earth. Paul taught that in Athens when he said, you have these statues that say to the unknown God. He's like, I'll tell you who the unknown God is. And in him we live and move and have our being. And he's not far from any one of us. And so, you know, why did I just spend a few minutes tracing back those steps? Demetrius has heard of Paul's success and fruit that he's bearing in ministry. And it's turning the world upside down. Um, it, it really is. I mean, they're, and, and people are opposing them. They're opposing Paul. They're opposing others that he comes in contact with. And, and I want you to see that this is a narrative of real life history. This isn't just some mythology. This isn't just some, uh, so, something that we're, we're just studying intellectually. These are real people, real journeys, real travels, real shipwrecks, real snake bites, real stonings. It's history. And these are real cities. You can travel to them and go to the ruins of these cities. And, and so that's where we are. And, you know, as I was studying Acts 20, I couldn't help but think about Paul coming uh, to the Ephesian elders, which is what we're going to spend most of our time today talking about. But I, I couldn't help but think about what happened in Acts 19. And uh, why was Demetrius so upset? Well, he was about to be out of a job if people kept turning from idols to the living God. And that's what happened in many places. It, if you even read 1 Thessalonians, it says, Paul says, I'm thankful that you received the word from me as what it truly is, the word of God. And you turned from idols to the true and living God around verses 6 through 10 in 1 Thessalonians. And that, he just visited Thessalonica in chapter 17 of Acts for three Sabbaths. And so people were turning from idols to the living and true God. And so there's an uproar because the idol makers, the craftsmen, are saying we might lose our money. We might lose our reputation. We might lose our jobs. And I was walking the streets of Nepal for about 10 weeks over the summers of 2015 and 2016. Nepal is right between India and China in the Himalayan mountains. And I saw seven young boys, probably no older than 14 years old, tinkering. Just, it was loud. Just tinkering all day, all day. Just hitting, hammering with precision to create their gods for their 30 million people in their country to worship. And about 90% of this country um, are of the Hindu faith. These are beautiful people, great people, kind people, loving people. Um, the hospitality was far greater than southern hospitality. They'd bring you in, give you chai. I love the Nepali people. But sadly, they're worshiping gods made with hands. They're not worshiping the true living God. And for that, they, if they do not turn from these idols to the true and living God, will face judgment and wrath and condemnation. Just as we all once will 
if we do not turn from our idols, though they may not be made with hands, we have our idols here in America. And I was just saddened over, over these young boys, and I, I thought about um, what it must have been like for Demetrius to raise up this riot. But also, I was, I was filled with hope as I was studying this lesson, thinking about how even in the hall of Tyrannus, the word of the Lord increased and prevailed in the region through two years of teaching. And we came across a church in Kathmandu, Nepal, the capital. I'm not going to say the name of the church because this goes on podcast, but you can even probably read the name of the church there. It's a Greek word. But the name of the, ch- the, the church had a vision in 2015 that by 2020 they would plant 500 churches. This was a church of about 2,000. And they were doing it, y'all. We were there in 2015. We came back in 2016. They had like 183 churches. They had precision. They, they were strategic. They had every church start and fellowship written down. They knew where the villages were, and they were praying. I went to a prayer and fasting meeting where there were like 70 Nepalis who had been fasting all day and were praying. And I, I even videoed it. You could see it sometime. They're just all holding up their hands at the map, just praying, Lord, plant these churches, establish the gospel, would people turn from idols to the living and true God? And God's doing it. And so there was this hope in the midst of uh, the, the sadness of idolatry. And the same thing is here, y'all, in Acts. The church is blossoming and bearing fruit and increasing. And that is why uh, Paul is able to say later that in a region of 25 to 30 million people, he's able to say from Jerusalem, in the Palestine region, all the way up north of Macedonia to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I no longer have any room for work in these regions. What we're reading is what enabled Paul to have confidence to say that because he was establishing churches, appointing elders, and strengthening disciples in every city that he's going to. And and we're going to read more about how did he do that. And so, that brings us up to today. 10-minute introduction, 15-minute introduction to the actual passage. So, we're going to study Acts 20, 17 through 38. Acts 20, 17 through 38. Now, 1 through 38 just seemed like too much for me to bite off and chew. So, I'll overview 1 through 17. Or 1 through 16, I should say. 1 through 16, what you'll read there is that Paul encourages the disciples in Macedonia. Um, that's in verses 1 and 2. Where is Macedonia? Remember, it's, it's right here. So he probably went to Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. We don't know for sure. He just says he went to Macedonia in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 20. But he went into those regions and strengthened the disciples. So you see a concern for the saints, not just to go in and make disciples and plant a church and then never visit them again or never care about their ongoing sanctification and holiness, but he revisits them. Then he goes down to Troas. Troas is right up here in North Asia. Uh, You'll see it. This probably has a laser, but I don't know how to work it. But uh, in the north of Asia... Troas, that is where uh, Paul goes, and, he, and that's where this famous Eutychus incident happens. Eutychus, 
Eutychus uh, was listening to Paul go on and on and on and on in teaching. And you can see it with me in verse 9. Acts 29. A young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Later it says, verse 12, they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So Paul was teaching and teaching and teaching, going on past midnight. Eutychus falls from the window, but Paul, by the power of God, is able to revive him. Um, and so we're, uh, then uh, later they leave Troas and start working their way along the coastline. So you can, he's, he's trying to go back to Jerusalem to be at Jerusalem by the time of Pentecost to celebrate with the saints. Pentecost, remember, is when the Holy Spirit first came uh, in, in Acts chapter 2, which was about 40 days after Jesus' ascension. Well, no, it was uh, not 40 days after Jesus' ascension. I'm not sure how long it was after Jesus' ascension, but it, it, wasn't, uh, it, was, it wasn't longer than like 7 to 10 weeks after Jesus had ascended to be with the Father. And so Paul is saying, I want to go back to Jerusalem, so I'm going to sail down from Troas. I'm not going to stop in Ephesus because I'm in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. You'll read this around verse 15 or 16 in Acts 20. So he says, I'll stop in Miletus, and I'll call for the elders of Ephesus to come visit me. So that's where we're going to pick up today is in verse 17. Paul's calling the elders, to tr- elders, overseers, pastors, the leaders of the church. That's what that word means. Um, and so Paul's calling the elders to travel down from Ephesus to Miletus. Now, read with me in verses 17 through 38. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews, through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word of the Lord, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Okay. Let me uh, just say a, a prayer as we dive into this text. God, we come to you. You are here with us. We thank you for your word preserved for us. It is true. It is holy. It is sufficient to teach us, to give us wisdom. It's sufficient for godliness. It is necessary for us to obey it so that we might honor you with our lives. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would let your word come into our hearts and then that we would willingly love to obey it. Show us how to learn from Acts chapter 20 how we can be faithful to you, O oh God, and honor you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, faithful to Christ. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. Faithful to Christ. The main idea of the sermon, if you like to take notes, or you want to know where we're going, is that to faithfully finish our course, we must be faithful in, one, what we teach, two, in how we live, and three, in what we believe. In what we teach, how we live, and what we believe. Now, of course, you've got to believe rightly to teach rightly. So that third one is what we believe. That's because I'm flowing the, the flow of the text from 17 to 38. But we're going to first start with faithful to Christ and what we teach. Secondly, faithful to Christ in how we live. And then thirdly, faithful to Christ in what we believe. And you be sure what you believe will affect how you live. How you live will affect what you teach. But let's start here with faithful to Christ in what we teach. And I'm kind of I'm taking all of this under the theme verse that I would say for the passage, at least for me, is verse 24. That's where Paul says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus 
to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And so, he received something from the Lord Jesus. He received something from Christ, Paul did, and he's wanting to be faithful to it. So let's look at how Paul was faithful to Christ and what he taught, and then how we can be faithful in what we teach. All right, starting in verses 20 and 21, I wanted us to see how Paul was faithful to preach the full counsel of God. Paul says, you know how I did not shrink, in verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In order for us to preach the full counsel of God, there's two minimums, two minimum requirements, and they're displayed here. Now, there's a lot in the full counsel of God, but two minimum requirements that we, we cannot eliminate. And sadly, the church, in many places, is removing these truths to make the gospel more palatable, more easy to digest. But there is no gospel if you remove these two elements. What are those two elements? Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Without repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no gospel. You have no eternal life. You have no church. You're just a social club. The church was born through Paul and through people like Stephen and through people like Peter and John. And before that, Jesus Christ teaching repentance. The gospel of the kingdom is here. You must repent and believe the good news. Repent means turn. You must turn in your heart and in your actions from your wicked ways, just like they did in Acts 19 when they repented and they brought their, 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 uh, their uh, I guess, sorcery or their magic arts. They, they brought it, anything that was causing them to sin, and they destroyed it in the fire. They turned from that. And that's what Paul says that he did to them when he was in Ephesus. He's referring back to when he was earlier there on a visit. And he says, I taught in public and from house to house, testifying to Jews and to Greeks. So that's to people that were people who feared God. Jews, they, they believed in Abraham, Isaac, Moses, they believed in the law, but they didn't have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he was preaching to the religious Pharisees, the zealots, those who knew God's law, how to be saved. And then he was also preaching to Greeks who were pagans, people who were just, they, they were polytheists, they were idolaters, they had hundreds of gods. And so Paul was saying, you know I've preached the full counsel of God to you. Now, uh, to see more of how Paul preached the full counsel of God, let's look at verses 26 and 27. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's the second time he's used that word shrink. You know, I think of cower. I think of to get small. 
And, and it, I must confess, that is, that is a temptation that I feel all too often to shrink back from teaching repentance and faith in Christ. It's so easy. It, it's, it's, it's a little more culturally appropriate, socially acceptable to talk about God. Because they can define what their God is. My God is nature. My God is uh, meditation. My God is music. Uh, people can say whatever their, their God is. And, but when you start talking about Jesus, the man who died, the man who was righteous, the man who was innocent, the man who was perfect, who had done no evil, he had done no wrong, you start talking about Jesus, God's Son, and how he calls us to repent. And about how he rose again from the grave. That starts to make some people enemies of you. You don't treat them as enemies, but they treat you as enemies. And you see, friends, it's one of the first things we, we give away when we, we, we're bowling down our message. But we must not give it away if we're going to be faithful to preach the full counsel of God. We must not. There is, there is no gospel apart from repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We want to be able to say with Paul, I'm innocent of your blood. Now, of course, the salvation of the Ephesians is by no means weighing on Paul. The salvation of the Ephesians is... Paul's trusting God to do the work of salvation in their life. And the Ephesians have responsibility as man to repent. They're, Paul's trusting in God's uh, sovereignty and salvation. And, and he knows man is responsible to repent. But he's saying, when he's saying, I'm innocent of your blood, not that in the first place your salvation was riding on me. But he's saying, I've done what was necessary on my end to make known to you all you need to know to make the decision to be saved. Can we say the same thing for our family and friends? If today's our last day, we can depart this earth saying, I'm innocent of their blood. My doormates, my sorority, my fraternity, my cohort in my, my classes. Can, can we say... I've testified to the gospel. I'm innocent of their blood. I was faithful to preach repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. All right, and let's look further at what, how Paul was faithful in what he taught. Verses 28 through 30. He says to these elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So Paul's faithful in warning the elders. He's being a good shepherd. He's, he's worried about the health of the church. So he's saying, be, be, be prepared. Be on guard. Be on watch. Because people are going to come in and teach false doctrine. Even among some of you elders, some of you will speak twisted things. 
And so he's faithful to teach the full counsel of God. Secondly, Paul's faithful and how faithful to Christ and how he lived. And that beckons us, that beckons you, that beckons me to be faithful in how we live. Look with me in verses 22 through 24. In this verse, we're going to see how Paul was faithful to persevere in the face of persecution. 22 through 24. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is faithful in how he lived because he was faithful in the, to persevere in the face of persecution. You see, Paul's concern was not on his physical safety. If, if we're making our decisions, if we're making our future career decisions, or even the places we live, on physical safety, we're not, I, I would say, placing the highest priority on faithfulness to Christ. Because what we see repeatedly in the Scriptures, in the life of uh, Peter, in the life of John, in the life of, uh, who, who rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for God's name. What we see in the life of, of Paul and Silas who were beaten, stoned, uh, who were dr- beaten, dragged into jail. Or what we see in the life of Stephen who was stoned to death, but he kept faithfully preaching to the end. Or what, what we see in all of these saints. And of course, in Jesus who said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No one has authority to take my life, but I have authority to lay it down and take it up again. The one who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, we see in Christianity, it's a call to suffer. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. The cross is an instrument of torture. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone tries to save his life, he'll lose it. But if anyone loses his life for my sake and the gospel, he will save it. Paul was faithful to put the cross before him and the world behind him. He says, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I'm going. I'm going to Jerusalem because the Spirit of God has constrained me. It was the love of Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ controls me. He was so in love with God. He loved Jesus because Jesus first loved him. He was, Paul was one of the ones who was bringing about imprisonment and afflictions on the Christians. When Stephen was stoned, they laid down their cloaks at Paul. At Saul was his name at that point. They said, Saul, will you watch our cloaks while we go throw stones at the head of Stephen, that Christian? 
You see the radical life transformation? Paul went from being a persecutor of the church to, Jesus, you love me so much, I'm willing to now go be persecuted for you. I'm willing to go be like Stephen and be killed for your sake. He did not prioritize his physical safety amongst the exaltation of God, the worship of God. And so that challenges us. Are we prioritizing our physical safety? Maybe, maybe there's a segment of town in the city you go live in, in Atlanta or Nashville or Birmingham, that your parents say don't go live in that section of town, or Montgomery for that matter. Or uh, maybe there's a part of the world your parents say don't go to that country on a short-term trip. Your friends. But we need to incarnate the truth of the gospel by going and dwelling amongst those lost people in those dark places so that they might know how to be saved. That's what Paul did. Another way that he was faithful and how he lived is he lived above reproach. Above reproach means uh, like to live in such a way that people cannot speak ill of your character. They, they cannot speak any negativity about your character. It'll be immediately tossed out. Like, if someone said, oh yeah, Paul was just this glutton who sat around and loved money. The Ephesians would laugh and say, no, you're losing your mind. Or if you look at his letter to the Thessalonians, they couldn't say, yeah, he's just this lazy guy who sits around all day. Look with me at verses 31, 33, and 35. Let's, let's see how he's above reproach in the way he lived. 31, therefore, be alert remembering that for three years, think back to the hall of Tyrannus for two years, for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. Move down to verse 33 through 35. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul's saying, look at my life. Look at how I lived. I didn't want any of your money. I didn't want any of your clothing. I worked hard to provide for my necessities. There were times where he lived completely off of the support of the Macedonian church. There were times where he was a tent maker in Corinth with a Priscilla and Aquila. But uh, there were times where he didn't want to put a stumbling block to those he was preaching to and he worked hard. Maybe because they might accuse him of just peddling the gospel for profit. And so he didn't want to be accused of that. So it, he, he's saying whatever was necessary to get the gospel to the people, he would do it. And he was able to say with confidence, look at my life. You can, you can lift up the hood I've lived above reproach. We too. We too. With our classmates, with our family. We don't want them to, we don't want the reputation of Christ to suffer dishonor. We don't want the reputation of our Creator God to suffer dishonor because we're naming the name of Christ and then going around living in filth, living in wickedness, blatant, unrepentant sin. Of course, we all sin. But repent. And that's what Paul demonstrated. That's what Paul demonstrated. A life above reproach. Too many, thankfully not 
I'm not thinking of anyone specifically. Uh, like, no, no one at Lakeview would fall in this category but, uh, on our staff, but too many preachers in, in a, the church in America are just looking to be rich. And it, it's not what God calls to be faithful to Christ. So then finally, finally, faithful in what we believe. Paul was faithful in what he taught. Paul was faithful in how he lived. And Paul was faithful in what he believed. He was faithful to trust God's sovereign care for his church. I know this has been a theme uh, in chapter 18. Uh, Kevin, Kevin said that God's sovereign hand, the mighty hand of God in the mission of his church. Kevin was teaching us how Paul said to the Ephesians, I will return to you if the Lord wills. So we see God's sovereign hand, the acts of the Holy Spirit being carried out through the apostles, and nothing changes here. Faithful to trust God's sovereign care. Look with me in verses 28 and 32. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul trusted God. He knew some false, some false teachers are going to come in. Some wolves are going to come in. But even through that, he trusted God. He says, I know that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So it wasn't just like we elected you as men. Yes, someone elected these elders, but the Holy Spirit made them overseers. So we even need to believe that, that the Holy Spirit has put Kevin over us. The Holy Spirit has put Al Jackson over us. Not man, God. And we must submit ourselves to them. Paul was saying to these elders, the Holy Spirit's made you overseers to care for the church, the church that God obtained with his own blood. That word obtained literally means to acquire possession of, to purchase. If you have NIV, it says bought. Paul was able to have comfort in his heart as he left, and he would never see their face again because God had bought them if indeed they were in Christ. And when his blood makes a payment, it's good for all of eternity. You're secure when you've been bought by the blood of Christ. In 1 Peter, Paul said, or Peter says, you weren't bought with things that are perishable like silver or gold. You were bought with the blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish something imperishable so Paul was able to put confidence in the sovereign care of God for the church in Ephesus you were bought with the imperishable blood of Christ and then verse 32 I commend you to God and the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I wish I could unpack that verse a little deeper. Who are those who are sanctified? Well, in short, it's the Christian. Any Christian. It's, it seems like it's past tense. And it is. Those who, or it's present and past tense. And future tense. Like those who are sanctified. Those who are 
sanctified. So they've already been made holy, but they're being made holy, and they will one day be fully holy. If you're in Christ, you're sanctified. You're being sanctified. You will one day be fully sanctified, glorified. As Romans 8 says, He predestined those to be conformed into the image of Christ. Brother Al preached on it just two Sundays ago. And so he was, able to have, he was able to just say, I trust you to God. I commend you to God and the word of his grace. I want us to be faithful, following Paul's example, faithful to Christ in what we teach, in what we uh, live, how we live, and in what we believe. That's way too much for us to discuss in the time that we got to be in the worship center in 10 minutes. But uh, I, the, the one question I want you to think about, are you innocent of the blood of those around you? Are you? Have you declared the full counsel of God to them? And then rest, on the, rest in God. You, you preach faith and repentance, repentance toward God, and faith in Christ, and then rest, just rest, trust God, pray for them, pray. Let me pray for you. Dear God, we love you. We love you. You loved us first. You did not withhold even your own son. How, God, you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You loved the world so much you gave your only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. Because he loved us, Jesus, we live in love for him. And love for you, O oh God. Help us be holy. Help us be faithful in what we teach, how we live, and what we believe. In Jesus' name, amen.